everyone, I'm Tilly and I'm so happy to be able to welcome you back to Chicken Shed's Youth Theatre podcast, The State of Being. You may have heard the pilot episode we put out at the beginning of lockdown. The good news is that we will now be creating eight sparkling new episodes full of all of us. We're going to be using this space to share the voices of Chicken Shed's young people and a few other voices that used to be young talking about stuff that matters to us. In this week's episode, we'll be hearing how the Black Lives Matter debate has affected the thinking and lives of young people in our community in The Big Question. We'll be listening in on some of the cast and creators of Crime of the Century, one of Chicken Shed's long-running performances and outreach projects, which explores perspectives and questions arising from youth gang culture and exclusion. And we will have the first of a series of interviews with past members of Chicken Shed to understand if their experience of inclusion has influenced their lives and careers. So let's stop messing around and get on with finding out what's been happening with you this week. This week, I smiled when I got to give my grandma a hug for the first time in four months. This week, I smiled while watching a sitcom with family. I smiled when I got positive feedback from a customer at work. I smiled when my grandma turned 90 as she was able to come over and we could finally celebrate as a family. I smiled when I went to see all my friends again, who I hadn't seen in a long time. I smiled when my mum told me that we are going to Oxford to see my cousin Costello and his family for the first time since lockdown. I smiled when I hoovered my bedroom floor and it was really satisfying to see it nice and clean. I smiled when I went to a restaurant for the first time since March. When I faced my best friend because we haven't really had that much time to talk to I smiled when I finally finished a project that consumed a lot of my time and my energy, but that I was proud of, so that made me very happy. I smiled when my best friend Eve came round to my house unexpectedly. I smiled when I had a long chat with a close friend who I haven't spoken to in a while, which made me feel really happy and like I was finally connecting with someone after so long. This week I feel changed by my sleeping pattern. I've got it back to normal-ish, so I'm waking up early and I feel a lot better. This week I feel changed by listening to music while walking in the park. I feel changed by feeling the preparation of moving into the next year's school. I feel changed by kind of going back to a more normal life. I feel changed by being able to go up and see my friends who live far away because it made me realise that we are finally coming out the other side of this pandemic. I feel changed by the fact that I'm officially on my summer holidays even though I haven't been to school in four months. I feel changed by the fact that I can go out a bit more as it has made me happier as I'm closer to normal life. I feel changed by my ability to feel my emotions and then let go of them so they don't consume my energy. I feel changed by listening to the new Chicken Shed pilot podcast um, and it made me feel really happy to hear people's voices again and made me proud to belong to um, such a loving and kind community. This week I think people should try a hash brown sandwich and you won't regret it, it's amazing. This week, I think people should try making tortilla wraps for lunch or whenever. They literally take 
I don't know, 10 minutes to make, and they are amazing. I couldn't recommend them enough. I'm going to make one now. I think people should try um, being a bit more considerate when out in the community because I've been out like several times this week and people have been very unconsiderate and like I think people are just so lost in their own lives now that we're free um now that we're more getting back into more normal routine that um they can just forget about other people this week i think people should try and do one nice thing for themselves i think people should try to make the most of the time that we have at the moment because we're going to be going back to normal soon we won't ever have this time again I think people should try going out a bit more so they can get back into the routine of what their life was like before lockdown. I think people should try and be a lot less hard on themselves and take each day as it comes. I think people should try to relax and not worry about what's going to happen and just take in the summer breeze and relax and listen to music and just be at one with themselves, as cringe as that sounds. Hi, I'm Anna, and in Chicken Shed Combos today, we are going to eavesdrop on two different groups of Chicken Shed performers and creators who have been involved in Crime of the Century over the past 10 years. Crime of the Century was devised by Christine Neering and Dave Carey in 2008. Creatively, it is one of a number of performance pieces that takes as its starting point the lived experience of the young people and families that Chicken Shed represents. The real-life words, feelings, opinions and in some cases tragedies are given a creative life to be reflected back to the community, to support debate and as a starting point for communities seek solutions to their problems. The first conversation you will hear is between one of the creators, Dave Carey, and two original cast members, Daniel Banton and Nathan Welsh. We then switch to hear members of the current outreach team, Michael Bassis, Jojo Morrell, Finn Kebby and Nathaniel Ledgerwood. This team is still taking the performance and workshops into schools and communities, reaching over 7,000 young people each year. And Crime of the Century is a title because it, it, the, the, the whole thing was, the, the actual action, the, the stabbing at the end isn't the crime of the century. The crime of the century was, was why we're letting our communities fail like this. And that, that seemed yeah. really obvious to us. And I think that's what Chicken Sheds also does well, is it, it, it broadens the argument out beyond the fact that, that, that it's not about that one event. It's about why society is, is, is allowing this to go on. I feel like we were with it, we were just sort of trying to open up... Um, a conversation, you know, with it. I think, like you said, the awareness, I think that we, people weren't aware of it. And obviously when that tragic thing happened to Shaq, and there was a reason to sort of tell a story, I think what we wanted to achieve was, one, to open people's eyes to what was going on, uh, see the effect it has on the victim's life, but also with the perpetrators and how the system had failed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids. We were trying to achieve something that, one, wasn't a stereotypical view of, you know, the gangs going round. We wanted to create something that was trying to be real, wasn't it? Trying to be real. And obviously it was from a very real, honest 
place that kind of definitely resonated with me and the cast and you know it kind of went through us so the message that we we're trying to put out there I think it was heard and I think in terms of achieving something it was just for you know people to be more aware of it was that, it was that pocket of society that you know people just aren't aware of and like these things are going on and it's like if you could you know change someone's view or open their eyes onto what's going on and there was a bunch of us that were like sort of from a world where you know we may have experienced these kind of things or come a little bit close to it but then there was also another half of the cast that hadn't but there was a yeah yeah something that was always the way at chicken shed is there was a brilliant way of marrying that up and an understanding mm. within it all that we were able to accept each other and create. I mean, we'd all been working together for years, so it's slightly different, but like, I think like that was the strength as well, is that we could go into schools and these places being such a diverse group of people and show them that we could create something and make something work, even though we were different. No, that rehearsal process was like, it was on a different level where I just, one, I trusted the people that were kind of obviously leading the sessions, like mm. through and through. So whatever we were getting into, I was down for it. And you could, it was, it was just everyone in the room was just on it. And it was just like the, one of the best rehearsal processes I've ever been on. Every, it felt like everyone in that room, whatever room we were in, we were in everyone had the same value as the other person. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why it was such a powerful piece of theatre and such an mm. enjoyable thing for us to do because we all had a stamp on it. We all created it together. Yeah, I, re I remember, I remember Nathan, <laughs> I remember Nathan after a show being like, did you see them not in the corner? Did you see them not? They were laughing, like, they were laughing. No, man, no, like, propagating super, like, and then me being like, you know what, I did see them. I saw them. Did you see, like, and, like, that being a thing and, like, you know, if it was just a, a script that someone had just, like, we picked out from, like, 30, 40, 50 years ago and, like, performed that, we wouldn't have that emotional connection That's to right. it. And that would, it wouldn't, that emotional, that reads on stage. I really believe that. Yeah, I remember rocking up at places like the drum in, in Birmingham. I was talking to someone about that day. Do you remember that guy showed us about it? He took us to the youth centre. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'll show you, get some food. And we all went and got food. And we were sat outside eating food and it was fine for like a hot minute. It was fine. And this is just a perfect example. It's so ironic as well with the show that we were doing. We were sat out there eating food. And it was kind of sparse, kind of dead. There weren't many people about. Then suddenly loads of boys just started to show up. Yeah. Like, and for, for a little while we were eating, and we were like, ah, shit. Mm. We should probably get out yeah. of here. <laughs> from these ends. When we went up to Edinburgh with, with both Mother of a Brown Boy and then with Crime of the Century, there were no other companies that featured such a diverse group of people. But it is interesting yeah. because now, and that's 11 years ago, and that seems now quite unthinkable. But yeah, things have things have changed. But obviously, as as shown in the last three months, they haven't changed that much. They've changed on the surface in places. Diversity, especially in the arts, like how now, and especially over the past sort of like five to ten years, it's been so. It's been such a thing that the industry, the art, artistic theatre industry, or whatever, is, is, have, is having to like take note of. 
But we've been doing that chicken shed for the last 35, 40 years. Yeah. And it just wasn't a thing. It wasn't even, it wasn't named as diversity and it wasn't called equal rights because it, because everyone was the same anyway. And actually, and, and that's something I'm really, like, really happy to have been a part of and proud. Cool. Hi. Uh, we've got Michael here. We've got Finn. We've got Nathaniel. Hello. So we've got Jojo here. We're going to talk about uh, like crime, the kind of the 10 year anniversary. The project very much has changed in that um, we interact with so many young people. We're able to keep really up to date with what's actually going on. Obviously, Nathaniel started a couple of months before then the, the five new young ones started. It almost felt like they shook it up and they changed it because the story then wasn't all about Shaquille and all of those people that we know because that was you're going on at the time you started was like seven eight years ago it was about the stories that you had and the feelings that you had of the time that you joined there's definitely been a huge transition in terms of the show in terms of the material within the show and because we've obviously we've we've incorporated things that aren't um, that wasn't highlighted 10 years ago like county lines and you know acid and stuff like that so we've in, we've encountered we've we've developed and pushed uh the the show to keep up with the relevance of what goes on in society and i think the more i've been a part of it the more i've learned just how many stories have gone in uh, and informed the piece and the the uh just how authentic it is and how important it is it's a very special sensitive project and a very powerful one what has changed over the years and this might be something we touch on later i think people are exposed to that so much younger, which is sad, yeah. you know, the violence yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So, and I think it was good for us older ones within the cast to get the perspective of, of you guys. So for anyone that, that doesn't know how, how crime works, let's just break it down. I think it's like you guys were saying, we'll, we'll come into a school and we'll just, we'll start the show. And Finn was saying, high intense impact, impact show. And normally, you know, there's a deafening silence. And I think it's safe to assume a lot of the time most of these kids haven't been to the theatre, um, or at least not regularly. And, and you know, a, an issue-based, purpose-built, bespoke show coming to their school, you know, you've been in a classroom all day and suddenly you've got this physical theatre thing with chairs flying and fights and swearing and rap music. I think, like, you can't be not stimulated by that. And it's just something different. Even if they don't all respond to it, you know, it's, we're not saying, oh, they have to love it. But I think in some way they're all moved by it. Um, and then in terms of the workshops, kind of like we are, which I imagine, again, with the way the education system is set up, quite rare for them. We're asking them for their opinions on things uh, and what they think about stuff, which I think, again, even I've often been in scenarios where they, they don't know how to respond because they're just not used to it. But I think you shouldn't underestimate the value of showing care and interest in what these young people have to say anyway. It's so important. Like everyone needs to feel valued and we're going into their schools and we're, you know, demanding to hear from them. We want to, want, you know, as, as Michael said, their, their perspective is the most important at this point, even more important than ours, you know, what they think and what they see and live crucially every single day. Hearing different stories from different people and then knowing that we do have to walk away, even though we try and come back, you can't take people home with you. You sometimes mm. meet these people and say, do you know what, just come with me and, and I'll look after mm. you. And I find that really hard but i know that chicken shed has now started working with companies like shared vision 
um, different homeless shelters, police organisations. So hopefully we can't do everything, but hopefully we've got a contact to say, talk to this person. So we're not just making a great two hour impact and saying, see you later, we're going to the yeah. school. I pretty much second that notion. It's the, it's the leaving people. You've built these relationships yeah. with people and it's like, man, don't forget all this hard work. We, you know, it's mm. like we've had this day and you've opened up. Mm. Want, you almost want to keep coming yeah. back and seeing people develop it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a challenge for me. Um, I, I think, yeah, I know we're in lockdown now, but, you know, read the news, you know, it's we've been going on for 10 years for a reason. It's sad, I think, like I said, the younger generation, you know, they're in a, it's almost civil war in certain areas. Yeah. With what I mean, what, with what's going on at the moment. And I think we need the funding. We need, we need to, we need to, I know now we're doing video versions of the show. We just need to get out of there because there's innocent lives being lost every day. And you we always say like, me, we're desperate. We're working so hard so that crime of the century isn't relevant. That's yeah. the day that we've won when a school is like, actually, we don't think that this is an issue anymore. That's, we're almost working to yeah. ourselves to be, to be out jobless. Of, to be jobless. Hi, my name's Havadni and this is my cover of Human by Rag and Bone Man. Oh, oh, oh. 
introduce this week's big question. I think it's obvious that we'd want to give some time during the first episode to share some of our thoughts and experiences triggered by Black, the Black Lives Matter movement. So here's the first of what I will hope will be many conversations we'll be having with our communities. Thank you. I think the main question before we go anywhere else is what does everyone think racism is? Like we can all know what racism is but it might be different. So I think we should clarify what that means to like each other. So I think racism is just when people are ignorant and like and they don't understand. Like so they're un some people are unintentionally racist first. So they're ignorant and they're unaware of what they're saying can affect somebody and they're doing it because of that person's skin colour or complexion or whatever it is. And then I think intentional racism is when you're doing something because that person is like black or because they're darker skinned or you have it has to be if someone's got more power I, I, I believe racism is where you're discriminating someone because of the color of their skin and also you feel like you have a more of a like a supremacy or like a power over them because you're a certain you're you look different or you're a certain way and it agrees with um your religious beliefs as well i also think so much of people's racist behaviors is really learned because a lot of the time, our parents' generations, so many of our parents and some of my friends' parents are prejudiced because that's just how they've grown up and that's the society they've grown up in. And it's that like our parents are passing these sort of behaviours down to us as children. And I think it's the stuff that people are saying to their kids at home uh, or like behaviours, for example, like when parents are out with their children and they suddenly get uncomfortable when they see a black person, like children are a lot more like intelligent than we give them credit for. And I think they start to pick up these behaviours. And if it's not combated at an early age, they grow up with them. And so th mm. then they start to become, even if it's unconscious bias, they still carry that racism with them throughout their life. I remember when I was in secondary school and we would celebrate Black History Month. And then the biggest topic that actually would be spoken about would be the slavery. When, when why couldn't it be, you know, all the achievements of the people, of black people and people of colour? I think part of the problem is that um, we're not really seeing like enough black people or like people of colour in positions of power. So even as young children, like um, I remember my sister showed me something and it was about uh, the person couldn't think of how many black teachers they'd had and I was thinking about in my school that I'd only ever had one black teacher in my entire life from reception up until um, year 13. We're not seeing enough of ourselves mirrored in society in like the top places mm. like I can't think of many politicians that are people of colour or like even policemen like we're not seeing these people in the positions that they should be and I think therefore it's really easy to make assumptions about black people and about people of color that like 
they're lower down or that they're inferior because you're just not seeing them in the top positions. Um, but then I also think that there are un unfortunately systems in place that kind of, even if it's not intentional, there are systems in place that mean that like people are just not getting to those positions when they deserve to be. Mm -hmm. There isn't a focus on like black British history as well, because all we ever get taught is Malcolm X this, um, Rosa Parks this and that, and that's all in America. We don't get taught anything about black British history when there is a lot of black British history out there. We just don't get taught it. And that's like just based in the system because they don't want us to know it. And it's like, if it doesn't change within the system, it's not going to change at all. The response as well has been kind of disappointing because like, with a lot of the things people are doing, like the, like, I don't know, white actors are stepping down from playing black characters on cartoons or like they're painting murals and painting like Black Lives Matters on roads and stuff. And it's like, well, that's a nice sentiment. That's not really the point at all. It's like, we want to be heard. We want the police to stop racially profiling us. We want the police to stop killing us. We want to, like, we want stop and search. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't want to, we don't, I don't really care if a black, if a white actor um, voices a black cartoon. Like, it's just a bit of a, a miscommunication, isn't it? Between, yeah. between people and people not really understanding what the movement is all about, mainly because of what the, the media is putting out there, where it's, it's, it's just that we want change. It's not like we want people to change their whole, like that you said about the, uh, the white people stepping down from playing those black tag actors. We just want it to be like remembered and, you know, just fast voices to be heard. I still think in it has to be the history that we learn has to be like you said multicultural and uh, in proportion with what our population is i don't even think the problem is so much that we we're solely learning or like predominantly learning british history i think the problem is the perspective that they teach it to us from some people um are so embarrassed to talk about it they can't even they try to hide like like the black the the black history month it's just, they think people just find it so embarrassing they can't even talk about it for a whole month. But this Black Lives Matter protest thing is, has really helped that because it's, it, it's made it open. So now we can have conversations about it and, and share our opinions with other people. So Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the one thing about the Black Lives Matter like protest coming back now is that it, it's just being reminded, reminding people that it needs to be a constant conversation. It can't just be like a one-time thing and then it's dropped. It needs to be continued because if it's not continued, everyone just falls back into the same old patterns and the same old opinions and the same old habits when it comes down to it and then nothing changes. Do you guys agree with like uh, the violence that like uh, was, you know, shown at some of these protests? Do you think it's the right way to, you know, get the message heard? If you look at the suffragettes or when countries got their independence, countries getting their independence, they had to riot and like fight to get their independence. When the suffragettes were getting like the vote for women, they like uh, that woman, Emily Davison, she literally threw herself under a horse. And in my opinion, that's a pretty, like a violent act. And I think in any sort of like struggle of this sort of nature, there's always bound to be some aspect of violence, but the media, especially in this day and age, always focuses on the violence as a way to perpetuate the stereotype that what the, like, the oppressed uh, people are doing is sort of like a negative thing. And they always use it to say, see, this is the reason why we shouldn't get, give them what they want because yeah. they're all being violent. There was one post, I don't know if anyone saw it, but there was this post of like uh, them pushing the statue into the water and there was like 
on the thing it said like about black people it's so crazy and there's only one black man and the rest was white and it just was so shocking like but the fact that there was there was only one black guy and the rest was white people and there was like 10 or something other people in it and it was like black people protesting so violently or whatever but what do you mean like um, I feel like we're always going to get that stigma of like the angry black woman or the or the uh, aggressive black man like even when it comes to like the industry like I know genuinely it's become a little bit more inclusive but Mm -hmm. even going to the theatre like you see more mid-class white people than you will see like black people most of the time like it's as like a scene like even people who are acting within the industry like when I was doing auditions I was in Leeds and I was musical theatre audition and there was a point in the audition where I just stood in the room and I looked around me I was the only black person in the room and like I didn't realize until the end of it and it's just like the industry in itself like needs to become more inclusive I've become like it's so normal for me I've become too comfortable to only being the only black person in the room like that I've been in so many situations where it is literally just me and like a, a lot of white people and even like in my in my secondary school um there were seven black people in my entire year at like at its biggest at this biggest amount and black people left at the end of year 11 so there was even less and even to have seven people in the year that was a big number for my school in the years below me there have been one black student in the entire year and I think that that can be extremely isolating, not seeing like people like you around you. And I think we've become too comfortable with that. I'm so used to just being the only one that I like, you don't even think about it anymore. And that that's not right, in my opinion. I'm the complete opposite to you, uh, Jesse. I was literally, I went to like an all, I went to a lot of schools, but one of, most of the schools I went to, they were predominantly black. And I'm now so used to, being around black people and just like just being around black people and being the lightest like the lightest shade of black or the lighter person that when I go into like like apply for forms and stuff I tick black all the time and I feel like a lot of the reasons that people only hire me is to have that box that box tick the only reason I get hired is because I tick the box black and there's nothing that there's nothing else they just needed that position filled yeah. And it's sad. Like I feel like if I'm good at the job, give me the job. Yeah, fair enough. But if you're only giving me a job because you want your numbers even on your system, then don't give me the job. I'd rather not have a job. And I think for me personally, I'm not really one that likes confrontation. And I think when I experience racism, I'm uncomfortable. Like it's ridiculous that I should be more uncomfortable in calling out someone's racist behaviour than they should about even doing that racist behavior. And I feel like going to Chicken Shed has helped me gain the confidence to, to tell somebody, hey, you know, like what you're saying is not correct, what you're saying isn't right, because Chicken Shed just teaches you so many things and you learn about so many things from other people's perspectives and point of view. And even like, for me, I feel like I've been quite sheltered and there are a lot of people that have experienced racism a lot worse uh, perhaps than I have and I think even coming to Chicken Shed has helped me to see like their perspectives on life and and just like like help share the conversation. I think that's why Chicken Shed's so good because you're in situations with other people of different races, different disabilities and abilities. It doesn't really teach you, it just puts you in a situation where you have to learn it.
so excited to introduce this week's interview with a youth theatre alumni. Aaron Blair Mang is an actor who's performed in West End and touring productions of In the Heights, Hairspray, Kinky Boots and Romeo and Juliet. He also writes and composes his own productions. His most recent role was alongside fellow Chicken Shed alumni, Miriam Teak Lee, in the new West End production and Juliet. Aaron continues to support us at Chicken Shed. He joined the cast to sing at a recent gala event and has delivered workshops in our Young Creators programme. We think he is fantastic, so let's hear what he has to say. I was a member of Chicken Shed Theatre Company from the age of six years old, and I was there for 12 years until 18. I think my first show, proper show, proper production, was Cinderella and Boots. So whenever that was, maybe that was in 98? I, I don't actually remember, but I think it was around then. Now I am a professional actor and I'm also a writer and a singer. So I'm actually really lucky because I feel like Chicken Shed equipped me in a really fantastic way to kind of step out into the industry, understanding how to communicate and how to interact in an open and positive way. So I actually came to Chicken Shed because my two older brothers were already members. So my mum signed me up and Apparently, I don't really recall this, but apparently I used to be very shy and hide behind people, but I feel like Chicken Shed really allowed me to step outside of that and embrace who I was and realise it's okay to be me and express myself in a multitude of ways. I guess from the age of like six or seven, I always knew I wanted to perform in some capacity. I think Chicken Shed allowed me to tap into that and realise it was a possibility. And then from there, I guess the rest is history. I just really committed to it. I would sing all the time. I would try and do dance classes around my schoolwork and academic studies. And then when I was 18, I was really lucky. I got signed to an agent and started amassing credits and working and learning on the job. My route into the acting industry is a little perhaps unusual. I didn't go down a more conventional route of going to drama school or training in that capacity. I actually did a history degree at the London School of Economics, but I was always acting throughout my studies and kind of trying to juggle going on tour to play Romeo or being at the Globe in a summer season whilst or doing Hairspray in Wales, whilst also writing essays and doing my research and running around campus when I was in town. So in hindsight, it was a lot and it definitely was crazy, but it was what I wanted to do. Ultimately, I like to be busy, I guess, if I'm honest. So yeah, that's that was kind of my in. Like I said earlier, I was lucky. I was very tenacious when I was 16, 17, 18 to go to open auditions and open calls and try and get my name out there and try and book some work. And that's how I kind of caught the attention of an agent and then was able to sign to them once I'd finished my five A-levels. I guess a huge highlight of my acting career so far would probably be my most recent job, which was performing in the West End in a new show called And Juliet. For me, it was incredibly... It is an incredibly important piece. I know we're at a standstill right now with pandemic and everything that's happening in the world, but it's so uh, relevant. The themes that it's discussing and talking about, it contextualizes Juliet and her story, but through a modern lens while still being traditional and an homage to, to Shakespeare. It's very clever how it utilizes Max Martin's pop, epic pop catalogue and then has a very funny script by David West Reed and I was able to illuminate a gender fluid role who played Juliet's best friend and to me you know queer representation is extremely important so I felt very honoured to be able to have that opportunity. I mean as any actor can testify and, and you know verify it is an extremely unpredictable industry there's a lot of instability and I feel like if you have any insecurities they are magnified in this world. 
So what I would say, not necessarily the hardest thing, but one of my challenges has been overcoming that and understanding that it's important and it's essential to be innately who you are because that's what makes you unique. And there's no point trying to fit into a mold or trying to put yourself into a box because there's space for everyone in this industry. And my mum really taught me that growing up. She was like, you know, look to your left and right at your peers and your colleagues. You're not in a race with them. You you do not need to compete with them because there is space, there is room for everyone and everyone's voice and story. And the minute I shifted that mentality and understood what she was saying, the minute I was liberated and felt free because I wasn't um, trying to go against, I was surrendering to my dream and being like, you know what, this is going to happen because this is all that I want to do. This has to happen. If that makes sense. I mean, I shout it from the rooftops wherever I am, but chicken shit has been a huge, huge very instrumental influence in my life. It has taught me and continues to teach me how to be, how to be kind, how to listen, how to be attentive, how to communicate. I think ultimately what was hard for me actually was understanding that Chicken Shed is reflective and indicative of the world as it should be. It's not a true representation of how the world is. And that for me was a hard shift to make and navigate as I stepped into the world as a professional actor. At 18, I was a baby. And I feel like I really thought people were kinder, people listened more, people were more inclusive. And that was interesting to kind of exist in that terrain of not knowing and wanting and, and yearning for things to go back to how they were when I was 17, 18, or even younger at Chicken Shed and feeling very safe and welcomed and accepted and being able to do that for others as well. Um, but I really hope to keep on with what I'm doing and write opportunities and stories that are diverse and innovative and original and authentic to me in my experiences and my friends' experiences. And one day I cannot wait to be able to give back to Chicken Shed how much they've given to me because they have been a huge, huge, they are hugely responsible for the way that I am, the way that I conduct myself in the industry. And I'm very grateful and will forever be grateful for that. The advice that I would give is make your own work. We rate as hard as actors because we wait around a lot for our phone to ring or you can succumb to that notion of thinking that you need to be passive but or reactive rather than proactive but i would really encourage any creatives to just try just make things right now everything's so accessible we are at a standstill but technology is so uh it connects us so quickly and so easily so i would really encourage people to talk to their friends talk to their peers or people that they would like to be their mentor and reach out the worst case scenario is someone says no, but you never know unless you take a shot and you try. So I would really say like, I, I feel very free when I get to write lyrics or poetry or scripts. And that gives me a sense of control because as actors, we're not always creative. Sometimes we're fulfilling someone else's vision. So I feel like my advice would be to, if you want to, and if you have that urge to create, I think you should follow it and listen to it because you can only get better. Writing is rewriting. You know, acting is listening and responding and being present. And singing is letting the emotion flow. Yeah, I hope that helps. Thanks for having me on this podcast. I used to think 
summer for Chicken Sheds Youth Theatre. We have been Zoomed and WhatsApp from dusk till dawn. And at the end of it all, we have some great films to remind us of the virtual summer of 2020. Here is Chicken Sheds Youth Theatre Director Robin to give a fast forward overview. 
Hi there, it's Robin here and just reporting on a summer term at Chicken Shed like never before. Um, we have had young company uh, projects running um, and a number of our youth theatre, many of our youth theatre have been working across sort of four projects. Um, there's the Every Child a Dreamer project, which is more of a children's theatre project, but lots of our youth theatre were supporting in that. We've also had The Journey, Sonder and Inexpressible. Um, as ever... Really, at this point, just lots of anxiety and anticipation um, about the projects coming out. Some are out already, some are Im coming out imminently, um, but so full of pride for all the work that the steering groups, the cast, members of Chicken Shed's alumni um, have been working on this. Currently, we're just working on autumn planning um, and just working out what that's going to be and how it's going to work. So excited to see each other and uh, get back into our beloved building. So hopefully see as many of you soon. So that's almost the end of this week. Thank you for listening. If any of you who are part of the Youth Theatre would like to get involved in future episodes or if you have any ideas you would like to put into the mix, get in touch with Chicken Shed in the usual way and it will get passed on to us. But before we go, we have one last burst of the creative fizz from Joffy. Nothing's gonna 
for ringing through my open ears, inciting and inviting me. Shines around me like a million suns. They call me on and on across the universe. Nothing's gonna change my world. No, nothing's gonna. Jai Guru